Good morning, everybody. My name is Jacob Parnell, and I'm one of the ministers here at the Tri-Valley Church of Christ. I am glad that you are here this morning, and we're going to continue on in our rebuilding series. Like I said earlier, this is going to be the last of a three-part lesson as we look at the book, the books, but they're actually one book of Ezra Nehemiah, the story of Jews returning back to Jerusalem uh, to rebuild, rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls. And today we're going to look at a guy named Nehemiah. One of the books is named after him. So he's got a great big story, and it's 13 chapters long. I'm going to do my best to tell the story, and then we'll, uh, we'll take a few lessons from it. Uh, you're welcome to follow along in your Bibles. You can turn to Nehemiah, but we will be jumping around quite a bit. <sighs> thinking about the story of Nehemiah, I'm thinking about, like I mentioned earlier, public declarations. A time when people gather together and they say, this is what we are going to do, or this is what we are not going to do. This happens outside of the Bible. This happens at various times in life. Like when the President of the United States is sworn into office, they ask him a question. Will you faithfully execute the office of President of the United States? Will you preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution? And then, hopefully, the future president will say, I will do that. When a husband and wife get up together in front of their friends and family and in the sight of God to be married together, a lot of times you'll hear statements like, will you cherish uh, this, this woman, this man, in good times and bad, in sickness and health, till death do you part? And then you cross your fingers and hope that they say, I do, or we will. Uh, every January we've gotten into the habit uh, or the rhythm of doing a baby dedication here at this church. And we bring new babies who were born in the past year up on stage and their parents. And we ask the parents, will you raise this child in the ways of the Lord? And they say, we will. And then I turn to the congregation and I say, will you guys help these parents support these children and raise them in the ways of the Lord? And then I get to hear you guys all in unison say, we will. We will. It's, a, it's a beautiful thing. I like public declarations because they provide clarity. It, it makes things clear. This is what I'm going to do, or this is what I've decided I'm not going to do. And it's not just something that you decide in your car or when you're by yourself. It's something that you declare within the hearing of other people. There's accountability there. There's people there who are going to help you keep that commitment that you've made publicly. Like I said earlier, in the book of Nehemiah, there are several different times when Nehemiah calls the people to commit themselves to the works and to the ways of the Lord. And you will hear them say, we will. So as we go through the story of Nehemiah this morning, I want you to listen for all of these different times when the people say, we will. And I'll help you find them. They're not hidden or anything like that. But it happens pretty often. So I want us to, to, to focus in on that. Story of Nehemiah. As you start reading it, it kind of reads like the story of Ezra. And you're like, this is kind of familiar. It also kind of reads like the story of Zerubbabel. They're, they're, they're similar in the way that they start in a lot of their elements. The story of Nehemiah as this man, and he is in uh, Babylon, and he's serving with the, the king of Persia, who's the ruler at the time. And he's, he hears some bad news. He hears that the people back in Jerusalem are unfaithful. Like, they've rebuilt the temple, people have gone back, there's been this wave of exiles who've returned home, but he's sad because they haven't been faithful with the opportunity that they had. And he's, he's, he's angry about this, he laments, he prays to the Lord, he prays this prayer of confession that's very similar to the prayer that we heard from Ezra last week. And then he's given permission by the ruler, who has this relationship with, to go back and continue with the rebuilding and help the people get 
back on track. You're like, this sounds familiar. Didn't we already do this story? Well, yes. But remember, this happened in several different waves, and they go back for a lot of the same reasons. So the story begins with an unfaithful Israel, uh, and then a person who says, it shouldn't be like this. Let's do some reform. Let's go back and try to change things. So in chapter 2, Nehemiah asks his people, he goes back to Jerusalem and he asks them this question, will you help me rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that are in ruin? And this is what he says. This is Nehemiah chapter 2. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. And then I said to them, this is skipping a few verses down, I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, we will, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Nehemiah says to the people, let's rebuild this wall, these walls. Will you help me? And the people say, we will. And they get to work. And the project starts, or continues, I guess you could say. They start, uh, <laughs> they continue rebuilding the walls. But like any project that is worth doing, and any project that takes time and energy, there are obstacles. And they run into some obstacles pretty early on. A friend of mine was telling me one time about starting a Bible study in his apartment. And he said it was this great study, all these people were coming, they had this homey location that they were gathering in, but then they started getting some resistance from one of the neighbors. The neighbors started complaining to the landlord that this Bible study that was new was too loud. They were stomping around on the second floor. It was causing problems. Now, there's too many people in there. They're coming and going. I don't know who these people are. So she was complaining that they were taking up the parking spots that were close to where her, build, or her, her door was. And she, just, she lodged these formal complaints and she was trying to keep this Bible study from happening. My friend, who is a pastor and also a Bible nerd, he told me this story and he said, we started referring to this neighbor as Sanballat. And I was like, I don't get it. Some of you do, but I was like, I don't, I don't get the reference. And he's like, you know, from, from Nehemiah? I was like, no, what's that story? So I had to go back and learn it. And this is where we're at in our story. Sanballat was Nehemiah's cranky neighbor who was trying to halt the progress of building the walls. Sanballat comes and he starts ridiculing them and next to him is his faithful sidekick, this guy named Tobiah, and they start taunting Nehemiah and his workers. Listen to what they say in Nehemiah chapter 4. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed and he ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah wants to jump in on the uh, insults. And Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Or what they are building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Ouch. You get the classic, your wall is not even strong enough for a fox insult from Tobiah. Shots fired, indeed. But, innocuous as this may seem, their taunts soon turn into threats. And then they start to sound like this. Before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to the work. So they're not just annoyed 
by this. They're not just complaining to the landlord. They are serious about halting the progress. So now these are the working conditions that the people who said, we will rebuild, have to deal with. So Nehemiah comes in again, and he asks the people to make another pledge to keep on going despite the interference. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. I mean, you got it. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. So the second pledge that Nehemiah asked the people to make is, will you not just rebuild the walls with me, but will you continue rebuilding the wall even in the face of this adversity? And the people are inspired, and they want to do it, so they say, we will. But there's more than just people trying to kill them, people taunting them, people slowing their progress. Putting in the work on the wall is kind of taking away from their livelihood. Uh, Making this commitment to the rebuilding project Uh, they're making a major sacrifice. When they're working on the walls, they're neglecting their businesses or their fields, and this is their source of income. So Nehemiah finds out in time that in order to keep on working, these people are having to start to take out loans from fellow Israelites, and the fellow Israelites, who were opportunists, were saying, ooh, this is an opportunity for me to make some extra cheddar here. And Nehemiah hears about this, and he is very, very angry. It's greedy, wealthy people preying on the poor, not just poor from another land, but these are your own people that you're supposed to be looking out for. It's not just bad because it's kind of a despicable thing to do to take advantage of somebody, but it's because it's something that God directly said not to do. Sometimes when we're following God, we're like, I don't know what God wants, and I don't know how to interpret the scriptures to my certain situation in life. Sometimes I wish I had something like the book of Leviticus, to turn to and say, ah, in this situation, you do this. In this specific situation, you respond in this specific way. A lot of the times we ignore Leviticus because we're like, that's not us, and it doesn't apply, and it's, it's a different time and all of this. But this is very handy for somebody like Nehemiah who wants to come in and say, it's very clear what God wants. Why aren't we doing this? Look at what Leviticus 25 says in regard to this situation. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, we have some of those, what are we going to do? Let's listen. Help them as you would help a foreigner and stranger so they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God so they may continue to live among you. You must not lend them money at interest or sell them food at a profit. Don't do that. That's not what my people do. Nehemiah finds out that's exactly what the people are doing to each other. So he's got to straighten this out, get the people back on track. So he calls the people to make another pledge and to cut out this predatory behavior. Nehemiah 5, he says, so I continued, you guys, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them. One percent of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. And what do the people say? 
We will. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Public declaration of what we are going to do as God's people. So, now they're back on track. They're rebuilding the walls. It's kind of a long process, but the walls get rebuilt, and they are looking pretty good. And a little fox comes along and jumps on one of the walls, and guess what? They don't collapse. So that prophecy didn't come to much of anything at all. The gates are installed. They call in Ezra. Remember Ezra from last week? He's the, the Torah scholar. He's this holy man, and he's got something to say. He reads the book of Moses to the people, the story of God's rescuing his people and commissioning them to live in a way that reflects his love. The people hear the word of God. And maybe they don't, they don't just hear it. They're listening to it. Their ears are open, but their hearts are open. They receive the word of God, and they become moved by it. There's weeping among the people. There's conviction in their hearts. The scriptures are studied. The people gather together in little small groups, and they want to know more about the scriptures. So then these teachers gather with them, and they, they start explaining the scriptures. This is what this means. And the people are excited for this new possibility. And then there's this great celebration. We've rediscovered the words of God. We've rediscovered the heart of God. Now we're excited to go and live for him. They rediscover the festival of booths, which is that thing where you go out and collect branches and you make little tents and teepees and you pretend like you're the, the people in the wilderness back in the tabernacle times. It's also a harvest thing, so you can kind of just be outside a lot. And they're like, this is great. Why haven't we been doing this? So they build shelters and they remind themselves about what it was like for the people to be in the wilderness. And now there's this new opportunity to not be in the wilderness with God, but to be back. And then they make the biggest we will statements of all. This is Nehemiah chapter 10. You get them one after another. This is what we're going to do as God's people. Listen to this. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the people around us or take their daughters for our sons. When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, which you're not supposed to do, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any holy day. Every seventh year we will forego working the land and we will cancel all debts. What else are you going to do? Well, we assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God. They're not going to neglect the temple anymore. It's not going to be in ruins anymore. We assume the responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. We will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle and of our herds and of our flocks to the house of God, to the priests who are ministering there. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of God, to the priests, the first of our ground meal, our grain offerings, of the fruit of our trees, and of our new wine and olive oil. We will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites. In short, we will be faithful to God. We will not get fooled again. We will not stray from the ways of the Lord. And they commit themselves also to the temple ministry. They're going to support it. They're going to take care of it. You can tell by all these different offerings and specific things they're going to do that they're going to support this ministry. They're going to fund the priests and the Levites. And then there's another celebration. They make these vows to the Lord and they seal it with a big dedication party. I like these people. They're like, we're going to do something good and now we're going to celebrate about it. Uh, we had donuts this morning here at Tri-Valley. So that's, I think we're, we're kind of along the, the same spirit with these folks. 
They throw a huge party. There's musicians. They sing Thanksgiving songs. They have more than one choir doing choir performances and leading people in worship. There's a big parade, and they start marching throughout the city. It's like an exciting and joyful wedding celebration followed by an even more exciting wedding reception. And if you like stories that end with, and they lived happily ever after, then you should probably stop reading at chapter 12. But as I said earlier, there are 13 chapters in the book of Nehemiah. And in chapter 13, Nehemiah goes back to report to the king, who gave him funds and permission to go and do this rebuilding project. He's got to go back and report, just for a bit. And then when he returns, he finds out, guess what? The people have been unfaithful again. He turns his back for one minute, and the people are now renting out rooms in the temple for storage space. Do you remember one of their commitments was to make these areas for the, the grain and the storage, and we're going to commit to this ministry. They're renting it out. Tobiah was one of the guys that they had an arrangement with, this, the, the fox comment guy. They're like, ah, oh, no, you can store your stuff here. We'll do a little agreement on the side. That's one thing that Nehemiah discovers. He finds out that the priests aren't getting the food that the people pledged to them. People are working and harvesting on the Sabbath, which breaks the fourth commandment. They start marrying foreign women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, which we talked about last week, another one of God's don't. Do that. It's not good for you. And so chapter 13 is Nehemiah discovering this and trying to come in. He, he, one of the funny things about this chapter, he's like yanks on people's beards. He's like, don't do that. That's the, that's the way that you correct people. I don't know how effective it was, but that was one attempt that he made. He goes in and he tries to do as much as he can to make things right. But the book of Nehemiah, this story of the rebuilding, ends with Nehemiah essentially praying to God and saying, basically, Lord, I tried. I did the best that I could. When you remember me, when you remember this effort and the things that we tried to do, I pray that you remember the good things. Give us the benefit of the doubt, Lord. The end. So that's the story of Nehemiah. And like some other books of the Bible, it ends pretty abruptly and without the resolution that you might be looking for. There's other books in the Bible that do this. The story of Jonah, one that we're, a lot of us are really familiar with, but the story ends in chapter 4 kind of like, ooh, what happens next? Jonah is ungrateful, Jonah is cranky, and the Lord chastises him. And we don't know what happens after that. It just stops. The Gospel of Mark ends with uncertainty about whether or not the good news of the empty tomb of Jesus is even going to be shared with people. It's kind of this, what next? We'll, we'll see what happens. Nehemiah ends similarly. And it kind of ends the same way that it starts, with the unfaithfulness of the people and a weary man asking God to at least give them an A for effort. So what are we supposed to learn from Nehemiah or from this episode in Israel's history? What are we going to do with this lesson or with this information? Well, maybe this is a good reminder for us to be careful with our own we will proclamations. Maybe it will remind us to take our commitments that we've made to the Lord and to one another a little more seriously. Maybe it's a lesson for us that 
dedicating and rededicating yourself to the Lord isn't just a one-time thing. Maybe it's more of a constant process of recalibrating and aligning our hearts to God's heart. I think that's one of the main purposes and values of gathering together like we do on Sundays for worship, is that we say, Lord, we want to listen for what you have to say and see if our lives are matching up with that. And then if they're not, we have a decision to make. We can go, oh, but it's fine. Or we can change, we can adjust, we can encourage one another to continue on in faith. Maybe this story reminds us of that. Maybe this story makes us more thankful that in Christ there's forgiveness and restoration. We can be a wayward and forgetful people like they have been, and so I think we're definitely going to need that forgiveness. But perhaps all we can do is what Nehemiah did at the end of his story, and that is pray. He starts his story by saying, Lord, if it's your will, let me do some rebuilding. This is something that I can do for you. And the story ends with him saying, Lord, if it's your will, make something out of it. Let it not be for nothing. In my experience, I found that we don't always get to see the results of our prayers and our efforts. But like Nehemiah, we can try to be faithful with our own actions and trust God with each new challenge that comes along. And that's not nearly as satisfying as an ending that kind of wraps up nicely and say, look what I did, and it was effective, and now I'm going to be remembered for all these good things, and everything went according to plan because it didn't really go according to plan. Sometimes we try to make our lives go according to plan uh, a little too much. Or we make them go according to our plan. Forget that there might be another plan that's more important. I need this reminder. So this week, what do we got? Yeah, that's good. I went to the hardware store, and I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to plant some seeds that I don't know what they are. I'm going to get some mystery seeds. I literally went to Home Depot, and they have this display of all these different seed packets you can buy. Vegetable seeds, flower seeds, all kinds of stuff. And I, I went and I backwards, and I reached, and I grabbed a packet of seeds. I'm like, I'm going to buy these, and I'm going to plant this in my backyard. And I'm going to see what grows. And I'm going to care for this soil. I'm going to water it. I'm going to do the best that I can with it. But I don't know what it is. Side note, that's really hard to do. I had to do it in three attempts, because the first time, uh, I grabbed it, and I took it to the register and gave it to the lady. And I'm not looking at it, because I don't want to know. Uh, but it, the, whole, the packet label pops up on her screen, and it was like, romaine lettuce. I went, ah, shoot. <laughs> I'm not supposed to know what it is. So then I went back. I forget what happened the second time, but that guy, oh, I went to the self-checkout uh, area, and I, I peeked at uh, what it was there, too. So I went, man, got to do it again. So planted uh, mystery seed. Here's the mystery seeds that, that I got. I don't know what it is. Some of you might be able to identify it. Uh, but I took it, and I planted it in a little pot in my backyard, some soil. I've been watering it every day this week. Uh, my daughter Molly has been pointing out every day this week that it hasn't started sprouting <laughs> yet. She knows what I'm doing in this experiment. Um, I'm kind of excited to see if something comes up. I'm hoping that it's tomatoes or basil or corn dogs or something that I like to eat. <laughs> that would be really nice. But <laughs> whatever comes up, I'm hoping that this little project will help me be less of a control freak in my life and remind me 
daily, and it has done this so far this week, that God is the one who makes things grow or not grow. And I need to create room for that possibility as well with the efforts that I'm making. Um, you might try this yourself. It's kind of an interesting experiment. It'll kind of keep you focused on the fact that God's at work, even though I'm trying my hardest, may not be seeing the results that I'm looking for. Uh, I, th I thought I'd include you guys in this. So I put some seeds in the back of the room in this little dish. I don't know what they are. There's like five different kinds of seeds. Uh, I, I, I saw the packets, but I, honestly, I already forgot <laughs> what they're supposed to be. But I want to encourage you as you leave today, take two or three of those seeds, put them in your pocket, fold them up in a piece of paper, and plant them in your backyard. And water them. And remind yourself that it's God that makes them grow. And remind yourself that this isn't about growing corn dogs or something as simple and self-focused as that. But this is, this is a reminder for us about how God works in our lives. Now, some of you at this point might be thinking, Jacob, I know a thing or two about gardening. And you obviously don't. Different plants grow in different places and at different times of the year. And they need a different amount of sunlight or water. How many of you are thinking that? You're like, this isn't going to work. My daughter Molly thought of that immediately when she said, what are you doing? And I explained to her the, the blind seed planting. She's like, yeah, but plants grow differently, and I don't think it's going to work, Dad. <laughs> and I said, hmm, that's interesting. And I got to thinking, if that's where your mind goes, then this might be just the experiment that you need. You might be one of those people who's like, no, this is how plants grow. This, these are the steps I need to take to get from here to there, especially when it comes to the work of the Lord, how God interacts in people's lives. I mean, aren't we led by the Holy Spirit who's like doing this all of the time? You can't put that thing in a little packet and keep it in your car. That's not how God's Spirit works. So this is a good experiment for you if you are thinking about all the ways that it won't work. And if fear of doing something incorrectly or getting it wrong because you don't know all the steps is keeping you from even planting seeds in the first place, then you definitely need to grab some seeds. Go try to grow a mystery food in your backyard and maybe in your own faith as well. Think about this. Weren't there times in the Gospels where people said, I know exactly what should happen in this situation, and they ended up with their foot right in their mouth? We'll never be able to buy enough food for all these people, Jesus. We've got to send them away. They're hungry. That's not how it played out. Jesus, tell my sister to come here in the kitchen and help me because I'm the one doing all the work. Jesus, we want to sit at your right hand and your left hand when you go into your glory of your kingdom. And they even said, Lord, don't talk about being crucified. That's not going to happen. That's not where this story ends. They were kind of right there. But they didn't understand. All of these people were certain that what they were saying, what they were prescribing at the time, was right. And in our lives as well, I think we can become so certain that if we do everything right, we can just grow that plant. I can make the plant grow. But I want to invite you this morning to not be so sure. Now back to the story of Nehemiah. Here comes the M. Night Shyamalan big twist at the end that you didn't see coming. Remember Zechariah? The first week when we talked about Zerubbabel and the, the rebuilding effort. And these two prophets, remember Haggai was like, 
shoots him straight. Zechariah was the, the gentle, kind of telling stories, free love. Hey, guys, God's great. Nod your head so that I don't have to keep describing Zechariah. Okay, good. Here's one of the things that Zechariah says. In Zechariah chapter 2, uh, he describes God's kingdom. And it sounds like this. While the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to me, uh, came to meet him and said to him, Run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. Did you catch that part about the walls? Jerusalem should be a city without walls. So why did Nehemiah spend the entire book of Nehemiah trying to build walls in Jerusalem? Jeremiah chapter 3 talks about the north and the south that was split. God's divided people are going to be reunited. But in the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, we find Zerubbabel, when the northern people come down and say, we want to help you rebuild the temple, they say, no, nope, this is our thing. You guys go back to where you came from. Or in the story uh, with Sanballat and Tobiah, they were from the north. They were what became the Samaritan people. They were wanting to have some say in this, wanting some direction. There was like animosity between the two. They're going to kill each other. That's not the vision that God had in mind, according to Jeremiah. A city with walls, maybe not the vision that God had in mind, according to Zechariah. So, as we conclude this story, we may need to ask ourselves, maybe, should Nehemiah have even been building these walls in the first place? He was so faithful. He was so, this is what God wants me to do. He told people about, this was what God put on my heart. I'm going to do this. This is the important thing. But maybe he was off track the entire time. It makes me wonder how many of the efforts that I make for the Lord or in the name of God are things that he never asked for. Things that to me seem like a good idea at the time, but they're actually the opposite of what God is trying to do. And we say things like, Lord, these, these ones here in the little packet with the label on them are the seeds that I want to plant for you. But maybe God wants something else. Maybe the information we have about what we're planting and how we're going to do it, it's, like, oh, it's, it's all about my vision and my plan is actually misleading us. That's why this morning I say sometimes it's better to not know what seeds you're planting because there's less of a chance that you will get in the way. We have to walk by faith and not by sight. And we should remind ourselves that faith is about, well, it's about faith. It's about having faith. It's about trust and it's about humility. And it's also about perseverance. Sometimes we end the story of Nehemiah and we say, all we can do is say, Lord, I gave you my best. I did what I could. I pray that it's not for nothing. But he did persevere. He did trust in the Lord. Jesus doesn't show up on the scene for another 400 plus years. God is always at work and the story is big. So don't lose heart if your plant looks like that. It's not sprouting the seeds that you were hoping for. Maybe the seeds are right where they need to be. I want to end this morning with all this talk about uncertainty and are we on the right track and how can we know? I don't want to bum anybody out. Um, but I want to end with a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. 
And uh, I want to invite you to pray that with me now. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Kingdom, power, and the glory, and all that, that optional. Or the fruits of the Spirit, against which there are no laws. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and let's all say that last one, self-control. Oh, I need that one, so pray for me. Uh, praise team, you guys can come back up here. I'm going to kind of wind things up. That's the end of Ezra and Nehemiah. Like Rod mentioned in the 9 a.m. class, I'm going to be leading us through a series on Ephesians starting on August 25th in two weeks. Next week, Justin is going to be preaching for us, so you guys are excited about that. I'm going to be out of town. Uh, weren't you just out of town? Yes, I was, and yes, I'm going back. Uh, so uh, Justin will preach. I'm going to start a series on Ephesians. And I'm excited about it, because Ephesians is about community, and it's about the church, who we are in Christ, and what we're supposed to be to one another. And the way I'm going to approach this is going to be kind of like, this is our guide. This is what it's supposed to look like. And it's going to say things like, you need to be in fellowship with each other. You need to forgive each other. You need to be unified. You need to love each other. Uh, and I'm going to try to do some things that will challenge us and prepare us and equip us to actually live that out. You might be thinking, that's what we've been doing all along. That's what the church is. But I want to say now, you may discover some things that are challenging for you that may require you to change some, change some things in your life, to do some things that you haven't been doing, or to let fall to the ground some things that you have been doing. <coughs> We're going to plant some more mystery seeds. We're going to be doing a lot of praying. I'm excited for that. But be ready for that. Let's stand and worship together.